This is HPR episode 2005 entitled, How I Prepare and Record My HPR Caden Live Voiceover Shows. It is hosted by Gebs and is about 16 minutes long. The summary is, my preparation and recording workflow. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello HPR listeners, this is Geddes with what is my first original content HPR show. I'm going to run through how I prepare and record the KDN Live articles that I've been um, doing as narrations, voiceover narrations. I hope some of the information will be of interest to the HPR audience. I've got to start off by saying I'm not a professional voiceover artist and um, the workflow that I'm going to present is based on what really works best for me and my current modest recording facilities and equipment. Let me start off by describing the room in the house that I do the recordings in. For those of you who are not familiar with the typical UK terraced house, they're actually called three-bedroom family houses. In fact, what you really get is two full-size rooms and a very small room called a box room. Now, these box rooms are roughly nine feet long by seven feet wide, and that's more or less the dimensions of the room that I do the recordings in. This room has a single bed in it as well because on occasions it's used as a spare room spare bedroom but the small size of it makes it act like like a sound booth doesn't actually have any proper acoustic insulation i do have thick wallpaper on the walls however so i don't get any sound bouncing around at the moment it is the best room in the house i feel for doing my voiceovers the only up and coming issue i have I have two adult children and one's at university and will be returning from university for good within the next two or three months or so. So the likelihood is I'm going to lose this room, but um, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Much of my workflow, I think, is common sense. I take the approach I do because it allows me really to draw on my previous experience as an amateur musician, creative artist. Um, I do also study uh, sound recording and post-production and also it's greatly influenced by my teaching background. For me I see the whole voiceover task as a performance and I suppose that satisfies the geek aspect of my character I suppose and also because I'm narrating instructional tutorial material I also see that as an extension of what I did when I was teaching web design to sixth form grade students. Now, in the UK, that would be 16 to 18-year-olds. At the time, I was one of the very few teachers in the college, I can remember, um, not only to use video as a teaching aid, but I also created my own uh, 
instructional videos using Camtasia Studio, which was on Windows at the time. And I used it to walk students through the steps of starting off a basic table-based um, web page. And we were shackled with Microsoft front page to do that with. I remember the students finding it amusing at first to hear uh, the teacher's voice um, instructing them along with what they were viewing on the screen. But to tell you the truth, um, they settled down after two or three of them. And it really did save me a lot of time and effort um, in the classroom. Um, because if you can imagine trying to teach basic web design to 30 students of that age, uh, if I didn't have that kind of a, that kind of method, and trying to keep the whole lesson together, focus, class control, and all the rest of it. Um, using videos just to start them off on a task which they knew nothing about really did save me a lot of time and effort, and it made the lessons novel and everything flowed very well. So as I've mentioned before, I really do view the whole task as a performance, really, whereby the piece, and in this case it's the text article, has to be practiced and um, recorded when you're happy that it can be done with minimal mistakes. So let's talk about the first thing I do um, in preparation for these shows, and that is to prepare the text. Now, all my text preparation is done in Google Docs because I'm practicing to be paperless. I don't print anything off. Everything's done uh, digitally. Now, if the article is in PDF form or it's in HTML form, I will still copy the text over to Google Docs preparation. Now, I find this useful as um, I can prepare the text anywhere. If it's in Google Docs in the cloud, I can compare, I can, sorry, I can prepare it um, on a mobile device. Uh, such as a tablet, I can prepare it while I'm out and about, while I'm travelling on the train, transport, uh, wherever, and I can do it uh, online with a connection or I can do it offline without an internet connection. So I'll read the whole article paragraph by paragraph and insert commas as breathing points. I'll also sometimes break up the sentences and place them on a new line to match those breathing points. Now I do this so that the text will fit nicely on whatever device I'm reading it from. And these days, that's likely to be a tablet, or I do have an 11-inch uh, Chromebook. I've discovered that certain passages cannot really be broken up, and uh, really you've got to read them as one whole block. Otherwise, you run the risk of misinterpreting the description of the action or of the point being made by the author, or even break the flow of a particular task being described. So really, in these cases, I tried my best uh, to read it all in one breath. There's another issue you can run into, which is that some passages can just turn out to be tongue twisters. Maybe it's the combination of words and syllables, but you'll find it difficult to clearly pronounce certain words together. Now, these can take quite a few goes to get right. and You'll notice when I've hit one of these text blocks, as I will deliver it in a slightly slower pace than usual. So you may be asking, what's the main reason for this method of text preparation? Why do it at all? Well, it's all centred around the difficulties of narrating text that's been written to be read and not spoken. So breathing points wouldn't necessarily be a consideration. I was mentioning this to one of my children who studies piano and has done some composition. And they said to me that the same consideration applies to musical composers 
who don't play wind or brass instruments, and by that I mean, say, keyboard players or guitar players. Now, if they're composing for those instruments, then they've also got to consider the length of their musical passages and melodies. They've got to be written with pauses to allow these wind and brass instrument players to take breaths. At the same time I'm reformatting the text for spoken delivery, I'm also reading it to myself in my head, and also I'm practicing where to place intonation in my voice as I read each paragraph. I mean, what I've found is that this helps me save time when it comes to do the recording, because I already have an idea of how I want to say my lines. Okay, let's move on to the gear and software that I use, and we'll start with the hardware. I use a Shure SM58 vocal mic, which is the long-standing industry standard um, vocal mic. Uh, obviously more designed for singing, but perfectly good for speaking and podcasting. I also have a Audio-Technica AT2020 condenser mic, and that's one of the ones that's used by the guys from Jupiter Broadcasting. Um, I've got the ordinary Canon version, but there's also a more expensive USB version available. Now, I would love to use this mic as my main vocal recording mic, because in the podcasting world, you'll see that most presenters do use condenser mics, and that's because they pick up more of the natural frequencies and overtones of your voice. I do really feel you need studio or near studio conditions to use them. And by that I mean some type of sound dampening material on your walls and no or minimal noise pollution from outside. Now, unless I do my recordings at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> there's no way I can avoid outside noise coming into my recording environment. I mean, my house isn't situated on the busy main road, but the room that I use is at the front of the house, so a condenser mic would pick up all the passing traffic noise and noise from people. It even picks up my family talking from downstairs, and that's with my door shut. It's very sensitive. So that being said, I'm going to stick with the Shure SM58 dynamic mic, as its pickup pattern is mainly directly what's in front of you. The signal from my mic goes into a small Soundcraft Compact 4 desktop mixer and I just use this to boost the mid and low end frequencies of my voice. Now the signal from that goes into a Lexicon Alpha 2 channel USB audio interface. Now I first came across this in Steve McGoughlin's Door to Door Geek, his how to podcast um, in Linux video which is available on YouTube so um, I got that from his recommendation. I've also got the biggest version of the same range and it's a mains powered uh, Lexicon Omega which I bought later. That is an 8 channel mixer. I bought that mainly for uh, live recording and music. Now both of these work on Linux out of the box. Uh, there's also one in the middle. There's a 4 channel model in the middle. I think it's called a Lambada. Now, these interfaces came out in 2007 and are the original Windows XP designs, but they're all version 2, which means they're USB 2 compatible. Now, I do know that all three have been upgraded since then. Lexicon have got new models out. What I'm not sure is whether they've been tested yet on Linux, so I can't really comment on those. I'd just like to add that... Um, the three original XP versions are still all available and can be bought online. 
monitoring is done using a pair of Shure SRH440 studio headphones uh, connected to the headphone monitoring jack of the Lexicon Alpha. I do have a cheap round pop filter that connects to your mic stand which I don't really use now because the SM58 has got one built in. Now most of my gear is entry level semi-pro home enthusiast type grade equipment. So while it's not the cheapest, you can buy it. It's not expensive. The majority of it came from Amazon and online UK music stores at around, say, between 50 and 70 UK pounds. Now, at the end of the line, I've got a custom-built Core i5 desktop with 16 gigabytes of RAM, and it comes all out into an old 22-inch ViewSonic monitor. Okay, let's talk about software. The operating system that I used to do my recording is Ubuntu Studio 14.04 and inside of that there is Ardor 14.4. Um, I have signed up to the monthly subscription to support the project so that means I get updates as and when they come out and at the time of uh, recording this show the current version is 14.7 which I have downloaded not yet installed. The other piece of software I use is Audacity and I use it to prepare the final audio recording for upload to HPL. The last thing I want to talk about is recording and to tell you the truth it's really simple and basic. Um, I record each passage of text as a single clip or region as Ardor calls them. Each region is given a name of the passage or topic that it covers. Uh, I do this so it can be matched against its text position in the article. I also do it really because it acts as a kind of bookmark and helps me to um, see where I've left off during recording sessions. Obviously, the whole article is not recorded as one session. I use keyboard shortcuts to start, stop and delete the recording of the regions and there's a number of reasons for that and I'll explain that now. One, it's quicker and quieter than using a mouse. Two, my PC fans are on the loud side so I like to record a few feet away from it. Three, I'm obviously doing multiple takes on occasion, so it's just more convenient to use the keyboard and I can stand stationary in one position by my mic stand. I also don't have to be close up to the monitor to see the mouse pointer. I obviously use a mouse um, in combination with the keyboard because I need, I need to use the mouse for editing functions in our door. Both my mouse and keyboard are Logitech wireless devices. The mouse is an M185 and the keyboard is a K270. They were both purchased uh, quite cheaply off Amazon. Uh, they work on Linux out of the box. They also work on my Chromebook laptop and my Android tablets. And if that isn't an indication that these systems are Linux under the hood, I don't know what is. I always leave a couple of seconds silence at the start of the recording of each region, mainly just to compose myself and take the breath before I start speaking. I also leave the same couple of seconds gap at the end. Visually this helps me to see the start and end points when viewing the whole recording as one long track. Uh, what I'll do later on is that these gaps will be trimmed in our door so I get a kind of consistent pause between each region. And uh, when I'm happy with that, the track is then normalised. Now at the moment, that's all the post-production editing that's done in our door. The whole narrated article will be then saved as a WAV file in our door and exported out 
and then imported back into Audacity where I might tweak the volume of some sections or the whole track if necessary. Now from there is exported out as a flat file um, in line with HPL's instructions. Now I know some of you will be asking why use such a professional grade application such as Ardour to do basic audio editing. Now my answer to that would be if you go to the Ardour website you'll see that they're trying to aim the program at a much wider audience than just music composers. Um, it's anybody that has to work and manipulate audio and that also includes people like video editors, audio engineers, screenplay writers and so forth. Yeah, it does have a steep learning curve, but we're geeks and uh, we should be able to get over that. At the current time, I would say that Audacity's audio cleaning up features are better, particularly when it comes to uh, voice recording. I think it's got better facilities for doing that and they're easier to get on with and manipulate. But with each release of our door, they're catching up. It's just great that we've got open source projects like these and we should really support them any way we can. Just want to wrap up by saying the voiceovers are getting easier as I do them, doing far less retakes of each passage and enjoying them very much. Your comments and feedback uh, are welcome on what you heard today. And so this is Geddes for Hacker Public Radio signing out and speak to you later. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.